Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Man. At the movies, is going to be so much fun, so make plans to be here September 18th. Anybody ready for a word from God today? Amen. I got a word for you. I'm excited to share what God has put in my heart for you today. Um, if you got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to John chapter number 10, uh, or open up the Bethesda app. The notes should be right there, or if you don't want to do any of that, it's pretty laid out for you. Uh, But go with me to John chapter 10, verse number 10, and I want to read this one verse to kick us off. It says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I'm going to need a little help with the title today. I want everyone to say, settling season is over. I want you to tell two people around you, tell them settling season is over. Settling season is over. Anybody receive that right up front? Like, I just received settling season is over. All right? It's going to be fun today. Um, in John 10.10, 10, we have access um, to a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And the conversation should create a level of expectation because Jesus wants to contribute to the lives of all those who follow his leadership as the good shepherd. How many know Jesus wants to make a contribution into your life? And, and so we have access to this conversation, and Jesus makes a contrast between himself and someone he calls the thief. We know that he's speaking there about the devil. And he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's very intentional there to use three words that describes the activity that the enemy engages in. These, these are the three ways that he comes against you and I, that he comes against our family. Sometimes we know from the scripture that the enemy wants to kill, but he doesn't always want to kill. Sometimes he wants to steal. And if he doesn't kill or steal, then he wants to Destroy, And if we could be honest today, how many of you would say, if you're being honest, that you can recognize some areas of your life where the enemy has been trying to steal, to kill, or to destroy? Anybody can recognize his activity in your life. We, we can recognize it. We can sense it. We, we know when he's coming against us. And I'm just looking for some people today that has a righteous resilience about them and a spiritual stubbornness, if you will, that says everything the enemy has stolen, he has to bring it back. And not only what I lost, but seven times more than I lost, if he ever Everything he tried to kill is about to be resurrected, and everything that he has tried to destroy, Jesus is going to take all the broken pieces and kind of like Humpty Dumpty, baby, he's going to put it all back together. Anybody believe you're settling season? I'm about to preach already. I got to bake a cake in a minute. But I got to get this off my chest. Settling season just getting by, just surviving, just getting through another day, that season is over, baby. We're about to step into the promises of God. We're about to thrive. We're about to go over. Can somebody feel what I'm saying today? We're not just going to get by. Settling season is over. Settling season is over. Jesus describes the contribution that he's making into our life And it's an abundant life, but he makes a contrast. He says, I came to give you life, and I want you to have that in abundance. Like, I I want you to have it in abundance. But the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And, And so 
with the contrast, if something is being stolen, that's the thief, not God. We've got to break some religious mindsets and think, well, the Lord must not want me to have it. Jesus is not trying to steal from you. Jesus is trying to add value to you. If it's being killed, it's not Jesus, it's the thief. If the good things in your life is being destroyed, listen, I'm so tired of religious people saying things like, well, I'm sick, the Lord must be teaching me something. Do you think God, do you think I would teach my daughter a lesson through making her sick? He doesn't need sickness to teach you a lesson. It's why he sent the Holy Ghost. He's the teacher. Why do we confuse God's word? If it's being stolen, if it's being destroyed, if it's being killed, that's not God, that's the thief. And some of us are blaming God for activity that has been assigned to the thief. Jesus said, I came. It's, it's past tense. I, I, I have already come, and I, I did it to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. That's why I came. That's what Jesus came to do. Out of all the things that I'm giving you, out of all the various ways Jesus adds value to you, he said, I came to give you a life that you could not get on your own. I came to give you something that did not exist before I showed up. How many of you can agree today and testify today that your life is a whole lot better now that Jesus found you? Right? Now that he found you. I, it, it, it sounds good when we say, I found the Lord. No, he, he wasn't lost. You were lost. He found you. He wasn't blind. You were blind. He found us, and he has rescued us. And so he makes this statement that, and he's talking to his people, his disciples. He said, I want to give you life, and I want to give it to you more abundantly. And, and it's funny because when you look at the text, he's speaking to people who are alive. Like, they're not dead physically. He's telling them, I came to give you life. And they're like, I'm, they're probably thinking, what do you mean I'm here? I'm alive. But he's talking to them about a different quality than the life they currently possess. He's offering them a quality of life that failed to exist prior to him showing up. They have life as in bios, physical life. They have that. We all have bios, life. But Jesus said, I'm not coming to give you bios. You already have that. You have a physical being. I am coming to give you zoe, life. There's a difference. The word life here is zoe, life. And zoe is the God kind of life. It is the life that is superior in quality than the life you have without God. It is a life that consists of spiritual satisfaction that quenches your inner thirst so that you no longer are ruled and dominated and unsatisfied by your urges and desires. It's a life that possesses peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a life that you have joy that flows from the inside that's not predicated by what's going on on the outside. It's a life full of wisdom that prevents us from unnecessary issues because of unwise decisions. It's a life where we have the stamina to stand during trials, to stand during testing. It's a life where you truly become like a palm tree. You will bend, baby, but you will never break. That is the Zoe kind of life. The God kind. It's a different kind of life. It's different than just being physically alive. He said, I came to give you all that, but you keep settling for less. And is that not a picture of the current state of affairs in the body of Christ? I came to give you all that, but you are dead set on settling for less. Settling for less than what I promised, less than what I've made available, 
I came to give you a life. And, and here's the thing. Here's what I love about God. God will use frustration to get your attention. Frustration is God's friend. Because God will use frustration to produce agitation so that you finally get to a place where you say, I'm tired of living beneath what I read in this word. I'm tired of saying I believe stuff in here that I cannot see in my life. I'm tired of looking at the life he provided and then looking at my life and seeing this big gap between what God says is available and what I'm currently walking in. There, are, there is a remnant of people, though, that have decided and determined, pre-decided, in fact, that they are not settling any longer because settling season is over. I need a little help. Settling season is over. See, why do I need to do that? Because there's still breath in your body. You're still here, which means your best days are not behind you. That your best days are still in front of you. And I want you to see clearly what Jesus wants to give you versus what you've conditioned yourself to accept. What he's promised versus what you've conditioned yourself to accept. Generally, people prioritize things that are not high on God's list. We prioritize things that are not high on God's list. Just just a couple of examples. Um, Because of traditions, we all have traditions, Um, not all of them are bad, but sometimes we have traditions and we get stuck in certain aspects of our Christian walk. Uh, For example, some people get stuck in a tradition of deliverance. Everything they were taught was about deliverance. You know, God delivers, God delivers, and I'm so glad he delivers. And and it's like they get stuck in deliverance and their, their obsession is about coming out of what they used to do, not realizing that the purpose of coming out what you used to do is to begin a new life. That, that the whole reason God delivers you out of something is to take you into something. But many times, like the children of Israel, we just celebrate coming out of Egypt but not stepping in to the promise. So we wander in the wilderness, kind of like the children of Israel did, not understanding that God's deliverance is not just so we can celebrate we came out, but it's that we can go in to the very promise of God. Some people come out of cultural bondage, end up in a church, and now they operate in religious bondage. We, we just exchanged masters. We just exchanged what we're in bondage to. We go from cultural bondage and addiction to religious bondage and addiction. You don't go to the club anymore. Praise the Lord, you're not in the club anymore. But you're still jealous. You still got envy. You still gossip. You're still petty. God didn't bring you out of the club so you could have all that stuff. God brought you out of the club so he could take you into the promise. He brought you out of the club so he could set you before men of influence and importance and put you in rooms you don't deserve to be in so that you can make a difference everywhere you go. He, we come out in order to go in. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so this message is for the people, and I know it's not everybody, because some people sit in this church, hear this sermon, and be like, ah, blah, blah, blah. Have fun living your boring Christian existence. Here's the deal, there's a quote, some of you've heard the quote. The quote is, life is like a cake. If it's baked with the right ingredients, it tastes like heaven every bite you take. 
But it doesn't taste like heaven unless it is baked with all the right ingredients. I got my helper coming to help me now. Can y'all give it up for Everly? She is the baker. Y'all gotta excuse me a minute, I gotta get dressed for this. Look how cute. Yep, I'm gonna need a little help in the back. All right. You got me? I think you're good. All right, we're good. We're gonna bake a cake. All right, now, don't get in a hurry because we don't wanna mess this up. If we're baking a cake, you gotta have the right ingredients. Hit somebody and tell them the right ingredients, right? Uh, when you're baking a cake, it comes on the box, you know, unless you're like really good. And I don't want anybody to send me an email saying that's not how you bake a cake. That's not the purpose. <laughs> All right, it's not the purpose. But if we're baking a cake, we, we look at the instructions on the box, and there are certain ingredients, if they're all mixed in and baked, it's going to taste like it's supposed to. So what we have here is we have a little cake mix. You're going to come help pour just a little bit of that in there, not the whole thing, just a little bit. All right, a little cake mix. Got to save some for the second service or they won't get it. All right, we got a little vegetable oil. I think it calls for that. A little bit of it. Go ahead. Good job. Good job. A little bit of water. Got it. Look at you. You're going to do all the water. We can fill that back up. You want to crack an egg? You want me to crack an egg? You crack it. I crack it. Let's crack an egg. We're going to make a mess for somebody to clean up. Here, you do this one. Crack it. Help me. Oh, well, nobody's eating this cake. All right. Now, here's the thing. We got a little egg, we got a little cake mix, got some water, got vegetable oil, and then what, what do you do? You, you stir it all up, right? Come on, stir it up a little bit. I got it. All right. Come on, hit your neighbor and say they're baking the cake. All right. We stir it all up. All right, we can leave it right there. Just for a second. Can you stay right there and just look pretty? I think you can do that. Now, Couple things, because I'm coming back to do something else, so don't, don't leave. All this stuff, eggs, water, oil, cake mix, if we're all being honest, individually, nasty. Right? I'm not just gonna put a handful of cake mix and just start chewing on it. I, I'm not gonna do the rocky thing and eat the raw eggs. I'm not doing it. I like eggs, but I'm gonna cook them. Uh, but when I put it all together, and I stir it up, and I bake it, it comes out the way it's supposed to. Everybody following along so far? It's got all the right ingredients in it. I, and I could preach to you real quick, Romans 8, 28, that says, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Individually, the ingredients are nasty. Right now in your life, the individual ingredients, if you just take the individual ingredients, it's not that cool. But what what you need to understand is God takes all the things and he causes all things to work out for your good and for my good. Now, how many of you all would say today that I have the right ingredients for a cake? Okay. Y'all are in agreement. Uh, but in our cakes, in our cakes, we like to throw in a little black beans. Go ahead. Throw in a little black beans. Dump a little bit. Woo! Yeah, perfect. A uh, little rice. Let's do rice. A little bit of that. What, y'all don't like rice in your cake? Oh, yeah, perfect. How about, how about some elbows? Pasta. Wow, wow, perfect, perfect. We got some elbows, some rice, some black bean. Hey, hey, we got one more thing. I added this late, a little dirt. 
little dirt. Little dirt makes it work. Now, we stir it up a little bit. What did we forget? Oh, we did the dirt. You want more dirt? Yeah. All right, we'll put some more dirt. Now, I got to save a little. All right, stir it up. Now, question. How many of you all are going to want this cake? All right. Can you give me five? You've done great. We're done. Awesome. Y'all like, keep that on. No. That's enough. When I add all this stuff in, y'all are like, what's he going? What's he talking about here? I'm so glad you asked. I put some things in the cake, in the ingredients that were not on the written instructions. The cake box has a written instruction. The creator of the cake mix wrote down instructions that goes in to the cake. If I add or take away from what's written down, it's no longer cake, it's cake-ish. It's cake-ish. No longer cake, but cake-ish. Life is like a cake. Sometimes I don't have the right outcome because I'm not using the right ingredients. I'm looking at my creator and, and, and at what he said, not in the box or on the box, but what he said in the Bible. Are y'all following me right now? What he said in the Bible. And when I look at what he said in the Bible, I also know that if I add anything to what he said, or if I take away from what he said, then I'm not going to get the outcome that I desire. And some of us are frustrated with the life that we're living because we keep adding to the ingredients and taking away from the ingredients, and then we sit back and we are mad and frustrated at God, but the problem is, is we don't have the right recipe. If settling season is going to be over, you have to stop adding to and taking away. You, you can't just come up with your own mix. Isn't that the culture we're in, though? I'll, I'll do it my way. I, I, I got my own way of doing this. I don't have to do exactly what God said. I can add to, I can take away. And God has given us a recipe for everything we need. Right relationships, he gave us a recipe. It, spiritual growth, he gave us a recipe. You, all, all of our relationships have a recipe. All of, all of uh, our advancement has a recipe. And what ends up happening is that we add ingredients and then get mad that it doesn't turn out the way we hoped for. And what ends up happening is we, we, we're not cake-ish, we end up being Christian-ish. We're Christian-ish. We got a version of the faith, but it's not the faith. I got your attention now. Because when we add Two, and we take away, and then we're upset that life isn't going the way we want it to go. It's not going the way Jesus said it should go. It's not God's fault. It could be that we are working the wrong recipe. And, and how, how do you know, how do you know if, if I'm just Christian or like I'm a real Christian or I'm Christian-ish? Christian-ish people they see God's instructions as suggestions. They're just suggestions. And let's settle the issue with this point. God's instructions are not suggestions at all. I, I, I don't have to put egg in the cake. I could just say I, the cake will be fine without the eggs. But I'm still, even if, if I get through that, how many know it's still not gonna taste right? I can say I don't, I don't need the cake mix. 
I'm just going to use the eggs, the vegetable oil, and see what pops out. And I'm not going to like the results. If I want the result that's on the box, i got to use the ingredients that the box tells me to use. If I want an abundant life, the Zoe life, the, the God kind of life, then I need to look at the ingredients or the recipe that God gave me. And, and, and here's the thing. How, how do you know it between if you're a real Christian or Christian-ish? Number one, I, I gave you that. God's word, word or his instructions are not suggestions. The other part of that is God's word is authoritative. We, we, when we're just Christian-ish, we see the word as an asset, but we don't see it as the final authority. That's why you got a lot of Christian-ish people that don't take the word of God seriously. And they pick and choose what parts of the recipe they want in their life. And, and the problem is, is that we just, many times is we just don't want to change. But then we, we, we're frustrated at our results, even though we don't want to change. Another difference between Christian and Christian-ish is we see Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Jesus is not just Savior, but he is also Lord. But you got a lot of people in church kind of like, that's not cake, that's cake-ish, we're not Christian, we're Christian-ish. And we say things like, God, I want you to fix my life, but I don't want your leadership. Jesus, I want your blood, I want you to fix me, but I don't want to follow you. Change my life, but I'm going to live and say and type and post whatever I want to. I want your blood but I don't want your leadership. I don't want you to tell me what to do. Uh, one theologian called it vampire Christianity. Vampire Christianity. What's that? It's Christianity where people want Jesus' blood, but that's it. Cover me. Forgive me. Give me grace, but I'm not following you. I'm not gonna obey you. Your blood will cover me. Your blood will wash me. Your blood will fix me. But you have no desire to truly change and to follow the instructions and to work the recipe that he gave. And so you, when you're doing it that way, stop complaining about the life you're living because the ingredients you're using is producing the life you're living. There's a difference between, between being Christian and Christian-ish. And, and the difference is, if you're Christian-ish, you try to change the recipe. Well, that, he didn't really mean that. I don't need that. Or I can add this, it's okay. When you're Christian-ish, you try to change the recipe. When you're Christian, you may see a standard that's hard, but instead of changing the recipe, you say, God, that one's tough. I'm going to need your grace to do it. That's the difference. That's your standard. I'm not changing the recipe. I'm not changing the ingredients. I'm just going to need the Holy Ghost to help me forgive that person I don't want to forgive. I'm going to need God's help to get through this addiction. I'm going to need God's help to get past this circumstance in my life. I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm not going to change the recipe but I am going to invite the grace of God into my life that not only covers me, but it propels me to change. I'm preaching better than you're clapping. Watch this, Matthew 21. Before I read it, all throughout biblical history, there's been this tension between God's intention of how our faith would work versus historical institutional approaches to how our faith should work. And we can see it all the way back in Matthew 21, verses 12 through 14, it says this. It says, Jesus went into the temple of God and he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. 
And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. It, it, it's written in the recipe that my house is supposed to be one thing, but you've changed the recipe, and you've made it into something it was never intended to be. Many times this teaching of this passage, um, it stops in, in a lot of the sermons and teaching you hear, when Jesus drives the exploiters out. Because God is anti-exploitation. He is. But God is not anti-profit. Hear me, I'm breaking religious mindsets right now. He's anti-exploitation, but he's not anti-profit. Most people are not anti-profit. Most people want profit when it's coming their way. They just don't like it if it's coming your way. Don't make me preach on that one. They love it when it's coming to them, but they don't like it when it's coming to you. I can get stuck here. I won't get stuck here. People sometimes can get all messed up over this passage, but it wasn't that anybody was making a profit. It was for the exploitation that Jesus, the conniving, the trickery, that Jesus drove these people out. And what we learn is that when you set the house of God in order, which is what Jesus did that day, and you set it up as God designs, then God things start happening. The blind and the lame came to him right after he kicked them out and set it in order. The blind came, and guess what? They got healed. The lame came, and they got healed. They were blind, living life, but they couldn't see. They were living life with a deficit. The lame came. They were alive, but they were living with a deficit. But all of them began to experience God when the house of God started reflecting the intent of God, and when the church is aligned with God's intention, the blind, the lame, the deaf, the lost, they'll all be changed. Anybody ready to to see God move in that kind of way. But, but we come and instead of being Christian, we're Christian-ish. We don't follow the recipe. We say things like, Pastor, I want to be spiritually strong. How's your prayer life? Well, I pray once a week. You don't want to be spiritually strong. You just want magic to fall out of sky, out of the sky. You just want God to zap everything and you do nothing. Pastor Chad, I want to grow. Okay, here's your assignment. Get consistent. See, we want his blood. We don't want his leadership. Get consistent. Come to church regularly. Get your butt in a small group. Start serving and quit acting like you're better than serving. Stop being Christian-ish and be Christian. There's a difference. Say, so well, I, I just can't do all that. You're, what you're saying is, I don't want to grow. And listen, you don't have to be judged for that. It doesn't make you a horrible person. But when you want to grow, you'll get consistent. How I many? We need to start calling what it is, what it is. Not sugarcoating it. Call it what it is. It's not to be condemning. It's telling you if you want the result Jesus talked about, then use the ingredients in the recipe he gave. Some of us are baking cakes with recipes that have been given to us by people we love and trust, but it's not a recipe for, that comes from the creator. Just because someone loves Jesus and they give you a recipe, it doesn't mean it's, it was God's recipe. You, you need to start lining up your ingredients and your recipe, not with what brother so-and-so is doing. Why don't you look right here? It's all written down. I brought my Bible out here. Y'all like, why do you got that big old black book today? He don't usually have that. Because I knew I was going to be referring to the recipe. Referring to the ingredients. Jesus said, I want to give you life, give it to you more abundantly. And here, herein lies the problem. In every space, whether it be business, church, 
the home, whatever job you work, I see a gap between what Jesus wants to give us and what we have been taught to accept. We have sanctified settling and called it humility. Not understanding that when I have a desire for more, that doesn't make me bad. Break that religious spirit. When I desire more, it's because God has already promised to give me more and I'm only going after what God has already put in my heart. It's not wrong to want more for your marriage, to want more for your finances, to want more for your children, to want more out of your career. Somebody better help me right here. It's not a bad thing. God put some of that in you because he didn't want you to settle. Hit somebody and tell them settling season is over. I'm almost to where I need to get. I don't care about the time. We cannot, though, have this life I'm preaching about today without properly understanding the meaning of life. We cannot have the God kind of life without understanding what, what's the purpose of life, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Why did God put me on the earth? And a lot of times when people ask the meaning, I'm very quick to, to talk about purpose. And, and there's a place for that. I think we need to know our purpose. We, we, we have next steps at 11 o'clock. If you've never gone through it, stay over and go through it. It's, it's important to know your purpose. We wanna help you discover that. But it's deeper than just purpose. When we look at the meaning of life, there's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 43, verses six and seven, where God says, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created, watch this, God says, whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him, yes, I have made him. The meaning of life is not the pursuit of happiness. The meaning of life is the glory of God. That's the meaning of life. It's the glory of God. God said, you are born to glorify me. I created you for my glory. Your obsession should not be your agenda. Your obsession should, should be his glory. And, and what that means is God is asking today, how do I look through your life? Did y'all know the New Testament says the hope of glory, talks about the glory is in us, that we are carriers of the glory of God. So when people look at your life and they observe your life and they see the interactions of your life, do you show them the glory of God or do you show them Christian-ish? There's a version of Christianity where our agenda becomes primary. What we want, where we want to do it, what, how it's going to benefit us, all that stuff. It, it, it's where our agenda is primary and God's job is to bless what our agenda is. God's job is not to glorify you. My job is to glorify God. He created me for that purpose. God's glory expressed through you in people's interactions with you. Do they see the glory of God? I don't care if you sweep the floor, you are created for the glory of God. I don't care where you work, you were created for the glory of God. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you were created for the glory of God. And he wants people to see his traits through their observations of you. The meaning of life is the glory of God. And I'm not saying God doesn't want you happy, but pursuing happiness is not the key to happiness because happiness is always moving around. And even if you find it or catch it, you'll lose it. And it's why Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom, all these things in Matthew 6 that the Gentile, people who are not, who are not in relationship with God, they have to seek all those things. He said they have to chase all those things. 
But God says, you were created for my glory. You're in relationship with me. If you'll chase me, I'll add all those things to you. If you'll chase me, I'll add all the stuff. But yet we in church saying, I love the Lord, yet we're chasing all the stuff. But if we could stop long enough to recognize I've been created for the glory of God, if I'll chase him, I won't have any needs. He said, seek first the kingdom and all the other things will fall into place. People who are not his people have to chase it. But people who are God's people, they chase him. And what I love about the king is he makes it his responsibility to add it all to you. So so whatever it is, do it for the glory of God. Do it not because they deserve it. Do it for the glory of God. Do it not because you have to. Do it for the glory of God. Do it not so people will applaud you and say, good job. Do it for the glory of God. God can't be glorified the way he wants to be glorified when you continue to settle for a life that's, that, that's less than his best. I want the worship team to get in place. I want to give you a couple of things to close it out. God wants to be glorified in your person. That, that, that is in who you are. Another way of saying that is God wants to be glorified in your character. He wants to be glorified in in your character. I'm getting ready to say a couple hard things to hit your neighbor and say, listen up. God wants to be glorified in your character. What, What does that, that's your love for people. If you don't love people, you don't belong to Jesus. Honest to God, there's no clear thing in the Bible that if we don't love people, like if you, you don't love people, you're not his. It's not possible to be in relationship with God and hate people. Not possible. So that's, that's your love for people. That's your patience. That's your empathy. That's your attitude. Can, can people see the glory of God in your attitude? Or does your attitude stink so bad? that people literally think, I, there's no way I would want whatever it is they have. God wants to be glorified through your productivity. Your productivity. Men, you need to know God takes delight in your hard work. I don't care if a woman told you you work too much or you work too hard. God takes, uh, uh, he, he, he delights in hard work. Nothing worse in my eyes than lazy people. Notice I said in my eyes. It drives me bananas. People that just want to do enough to get by. I'm not wired that way. I'm not cut from that cloth. And you need to know, and and I'm not just speaking to the men here, there's a lot of work. My, My wife works like crazy. But you need to know that God takes delight in our work, in our productivity. God doesn't give you all that potential for you to waste it. God wants to be glorified through your person, through your productivity, through your provision. In other words, I don't care if you're a millionaire, you don't have a right to say, I've got enough, that's enough for me. It's not about you. You may be a millionaire and you may have enough for you, but you have no right to say it's all I need. You know why? Because there's people in our country right now that don't have enough money to buy shoes for their kids to go back to school. So stop saying I got enough for me. Maybe God wants to give you a little more and teach you how to be generous. Teach you how to give somebody else a pair of shoes or a shirt on their back. We've made it all about us. Instead of seeing it's bigger than us. God wants to be glorified through your person, through your productivity, through the provision that he gives you. What about single mothers? What about them? And here's, here's another hard thing. Can I go ahead and preach this? I want to preface what I'm about to say. I am pro-life. I shared that the day Roe versus Wade was overturned. I'm pro-life. God is pro-life. 
How do you know that? He created you. I, I, I'm, I'm all for pro-life. But how dare we sit around screaming as Christians against abortion and we've done nothing to help single moms provide a life for the baby that we say deserves to be born. Well, that's not my responsibility. That's Christian-ish. That's not Christian. We gotta do better. It's not enough for us to say, and listen, if you had an abortion, there's no judgment coming from me. Ask God to forgive you. Pick yourself up. You have a place you can belong. We'll love on you. We'll help you through the grief of, of whatever you've gone through as you, you process that decision. We will help you. We don't want you to stay in a bad place. We say all the time, I got all I need. Why are you only thinking about you? God wants to be glorified in the way you treat people. What recipe are you using? Are you adding pasta and rice and black beans and dirt to the cake? Are you taking away from the ingredients that God has given us? Are we serving God out of convenience? If God wants to be glorified through our lives, how, how are you treating the waitress after church? Did you even get their name? Does that waitress feel better about his or her value after encountering you? Or do they feel worse after encountering you? Don't give them a, at the end of the meal a God bless you when you never even gave them your attention. Y'all still love your pastor? Because if you don't, you're going to hell. Come on, stand to your feet. I've done enough damage for one Sunday. You guys can come get this. I'm gonna ask everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes. We're gonna have a moment of prayer. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I'm not in right relationship with God. I know I'm not. Maybe you've even been around church and maybe what described you was in this message when I said sometimes it's not that we're Christian, we're Christian-ish. We have a version of the faith. But if we're being real honest today, it's, it's not the faith that Jesus talked about or the Apostle Paul talked about. It's our own version of the faith good news is, is you're in a place that the Holy Spirit is welcome here. I pray every time I, I come and, and share the word with you, God, it's your church. It's your people. Do whatever you want to do. It's yours. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I know I'm not, but I want to change that today. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. Thank you for this hand. God bless you. Thank you for this hand. God bless you. Anyone else? That, that's, you're talking to me. I, I want to make some things right. Thank you for this hand. God bless you. God sees that. Anyone else before we pray? I know I've been a little long, but let's just lean in for a few more minutes here today. I want us to pray together, everybody praying out loud where you can hear it with your own ears. Compass leaders, those that have uh, been assigned to put the compass books in the hands of those that are giving their life to Christ uh, and those in the sound booth. If y'all could partner together to see what hands went up, if we could get them a Bible and a compass group, we want to invite them and help them take their next step. But let's pray together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, so I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me for all my sins, be my Savior, but also be my Lord. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, 
amen. Amen. Can you give Jesus a hand clap for those people making a decision for Christ? So, so good. Prayer team and staff, if you would, go ahead and get in place. Listen, I want to encourage you. If this message spoke to you, and, and I felt this in prayer, I think there are some people that you love the Lord, but the truth is God spoke to you in this message. And what happened in the message is you realize there's some areas, there's some ways of doing this that you've been off course. That's not to condemn you. Sometimes pastoring means directional, like you gotta, you gotta pull people back in the right direction. And so you may need to have a time. How many know as Christians, sometimes we have to repent? Say, God, I've been doing this wrong. If the Holy Spirit dealt with you, or you feel like you need a time of prayer, these altars are open for you. Our prayer, our prayer team is here to pray with you as well if you have any need whatsoever. Uh, we also have the people working the compass things. We want to make sure that we get that in your hand if you gave your life to Christ. I don't want to embarrass you, but if you made that decision to follow Christ, you threw your hand up. Would you throw it up one more time so they can see you real quick, real quick where you are? Just throw it up, throw it up, throw it up. There was one right back here. You raise your hand right there's one, right here's one. There was one over here. Come on, this will help you take your next step. Not to embarrass you. Want to help you take your next step. You say, Pastor, why are you doing that? Why are you having them raising their hands again? Because we all need accountability. And what I've learned over the years is sometimes we'll raise our hands, we'll say the prayer, and then we sneak out, and nobody even knows we prayed. But now, there's something about, wow, I gave my life to Christ. This is real. All these people just celebrated me. You know, that's a big deal, right? That's a big deal. So the altars are open. You guys ready? Let's go. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.